Well, good morning, everyone. And thank you, Brad. It's good to be here again to join with you in worshiping God. And uh, we're going to be looking at John chapter 15 this morning. So if you want to turn your Bibles there, and we'll be reading that in a minute. And we do know that uh, spring is in the air. Isn't that good news? <laughs> we're into spring. A little chilly this morning, but spring is here. And I know many people are getting their plants ready and, and started them in their homes as well and excited about gardening, all those people who are enjoying gardening and like gardening and uh, ready to plant their flowers and their vegetables and, and also time to, to prune trees, right? And uh, I decided this year that I'm not going to prune my fruit trees. And uh, the main reason for this is because we don't have any fruit trees. <laughs> Unfortunately, I would, one of my dreams is to have a fruit tree or fruit trees in my uh, residence. And unfortunately, we've tried twice with apple trees. And needless to say, there's no apple trees to prune this year because they've, they've not done well and no longer exist in our yard, unfortunately, right? But um, I did prune our other trees uh, late last fall. So pruning is necessary. And we're going to be looking at that as well as other things about agriculture here in this passage of John chapter 15. So let's read together God's word. I'll be reading from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17 in the New International Version. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands, <clears throat> and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, 
Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. <clears throat> so we see in this passage that Jesus uses the agricultural imagery of the, t of the vine and the branches to teach us about bearing spiritual fruit. Likely Jesus was walking by a vineyard when he saw the vines there and he made this analogy. Vines and vineyards were and still are very common in Palestine. And the vine imagery was a common one in Jewish culture. This was seen in art in the temple. It's hard to see on that picture there, but uh, there is a picture uh, on the temple there of a vine and also on different coins in uh, the Jewish period. The vine is also very common in Old Testament scripture, and I put up there several verses that is comparing uh, the Jewish nation as a vine. And the main point of the imagery of the vineyard is that God desires and expects his people to produce fruit so that he can be glorified. Now, every gardener expects a harvest from their plants. When you plant your seeds, whether it be a plant or a fruit or vegetables, you desire to get produce, fruit from your effort. And God is pictured here as the gardener who expects fruit from his people, both individually and as a community. And what kind of fruit does God expect? So we're going to look at other parts of Scripture that will talk about the different kinds of fruit that God expects. The first one, I'm sure you're very familiar with, is that is the fruit of the Spirit. We read this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And if you'd like, why don't we just read it all together? Read with me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law. So we see that the fruit of the Spirit is depicted here as character development. What about us? Are we a little fruitier <laughs> than we were last year or last month? Are we increasing in these qualities of patience, and love, and joy, and kindness, and gentleness? Are we maturing and producing this kind of fruit? And sometimes, you know, when you have children, right, and you see them every day, you don't really think that they're growing, right? But if you haven't seen them for a while, oh, wow, you've grown so much, right? Our grandson is about to turn two in a few weeks, and uh, uh, actually this week coming up. And such growth in him over the last two years, and we think when he was just a, a little baby, right? But growing up to be uh, a big little boy now. And often we don't see that growth. So sometimes it might be good to ask somebody else, hey, have you noticed in the last several months or year, have I been changing? Have I been more loving and more patient or more kind? Because we often we don't see it in ourselves. So I trust that as we grow in our relationship that we are maturing and producing the fruits of the Spirit. The second thing we notice is the fruit of good works. So please read along with me Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. 
so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. What good works have you done lately? Perhaps you've helped somebody move or with yard work or you've helped them get groceries if they're under a COVID alert or maybe you've helped someone with their homework or maybe volunteering at, at church or in your community. Every day we have many, many opportunities to do good works, don't we? Whether it be helping with the dishes at home or making a meal or taking a meal to someone or maybe even sending a monetary gift for relief work. I trust that we are actively and intentionally producing the fruit of good works each and every day. We also see the fruit of social justice. And one of the scriptures that I mentioned that relates Israel to the vine is seen in Isaiah chapter 5. And I believe the passage is there. Let's read it together. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. And the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but heard cries of distress. God looks in his people for the fruit of righteousness and justice. As believers, we can and should be involved in these kind of justice issues. We can be helping the needy, the people who are voiceless in our society, who are being exploited. We can be involved in issues such as slavery, stopping slavery and, and helping get rid of homelessness and stopping abortion and abuse of children or elders and other people. There's a vast amount of various issues, social issues, that we can get involved with. And obviously we have limited resources and time, so we can't be involved in everything. But I encourage each one of you to pick one issue at least and get involved either by volunteering your time and energy, maybe regularly praying, maybe giving, and helping in some way to be involved in an issue that you are excited about and that will lead to justice and righteousness in our society. We also see the fourth thing is the fruit of new believers and making disciples. You recall the story in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. And uh, she went, after she had encountered Jesus, she went and brought all of her friends and the people of the community and said, hey, come and see Jesus, who told me everything about my life, and uh, he's the Messiah. And as they are approaching, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, don't you have a saying, it is still four months until harvest, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields, all the people that were coming. They are ripe for harvest. When we are in the process of helping people enter into the family of God, we are bearing fruit. And Jesus says in Matthew 28, verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. When we as believers are involved in the process of discipling fellow believers, we are bearing fruit. So I encourage all of us to be involved in bearing fruit through evangelizing, through our behaviors, through our actions, through our words. 
and encourage each one of us to help those who are younger in the faith and need some encouragement. So I want to challenge you to invest your prayers and your finances and your efforts in seeking to win converts for Christ and to make disciples, both locally as well as around the world through our prayers and through our giving. So these are the types of fruit that God is wanting to produce in our lives. So how can we be more fruitful? Well, the first thing we see is to accept God's pruning. Verse 2 of John 15 says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, it seems somewhat strange for healthy branches to be pruned. I always thought that was kind of unusual. But we do know that it is necessary for pruning to take place so that the branch will produce even more fruit. I was informed that it takes about two to three years to train a pruner to do an excellent job, to know where to cut, how much to cut, the angle to cut. Here we notice that God is the pruner. Because it's God, we can certainly trust our Heavenly Father to do an excellent job to prune us so that we might bear more fruit. And what are some of the things that we know that God wants to prune away in our lives? Well, the first and most obvious one, and that is sinful actions and, and behaviors and habits. Most of us have some area in our lives that we tend to stumble in, whether it be anger or greed or selfishness or lust or whatever it might be, right? And God wants to prune those things away. Sometimes we think we can handle, oh, I can take care of this on my own. But we have to realize that we need God's help to prune sinful habits from our lives. Another thing God wants to prune is wrong priorities. Some activities and habits may not be sinful, but they can be distractions or even become idols in our lives that stunt our spiritual growth and need to be pruned. You recall back last uh, March when COVID first hit, all of a sudden, a lot of distractions in our lives disappeared, right? There was no traveling anymore. There was no sports to watch or to play. There was, couldn't even go out to restaurants. There was not a lot happening. And like me, like you, we're staying home a lot more than you used to. And I'm not sure about you, but I noticed that I had a lot more time on my hands to read my Bible, to pray, to read devotional literature. And my spiritual life actually did improve and did and grow during that time because I just had more time, less distractions from other things that are not necessarily wrong, but can be distractions from my spiritual growth. Another thing that God may want to prune out of our lives is our desire to always want to be in control. We think that we know best, and God wants to prune away our need for control. And also our desire for comfort. We all like to have a comfortable life, right? Although it seems like a non-issue, we discover that when comfort is king, becomes an idol in our lives, that our growth is limited. God wants us to follow Jesus in taking up the cross and to follow him. These are just some of the things that, 
that God needs to prune from our lives so that we can be more fruitful. And pruning is not a pleasant experience, not for the plant anyway. I'm sure if a plant had feelings, it would say, no, no, not the pruning scissors again. No, please, get away from me. And they would cry. And, but obviously plants don't do that. But when God prunes us as individuals as, or as a community, it is not always a pleasant process. And I want us to briefly look at some of the ways that God uses to prune us, as noted in Scripture. And God uses, as we know, discipline to prune us. There's a passage in Hebrews chapter 12. I think it's on the board there, if we can look, bring that up. I didn't write it down in my text here, so let's just, I'll read it with you. So join with me as we read this together. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God uses discipline to help us mature in our faith. And also just another passage that's right nearby is in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, which I will just read for us here. It says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that our testing, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. God uses trials and difficulties and persecution to help us mature so that we can be more fruitful. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says this. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So God uses... These things, trials, difficulties, and persecution to prune us so that we can mature and become more fruitful. God also uses relationships, people around us to prune us. You know that difficult neighbor, that difficult colleague at work, or that difficult fellow student, or, or someone in your family? I think God uses those kinds of people to help prune us. Or even the people that we love, right? Even the people that are close to us. When we live together and we love them, you know, sometimes they just rub us the wrong way. But God uses people to shape us 
and to refine us and to be, make us more holy. What are some ways that, that God has pruned you in the past? How is God pruning you presently? What difficult situations are you going through now? Rather than see them as something terrible, look upon them as opportunities to grow and to learn the lessons that God wants you to learn. So pruning is one way that God uses to help us to be more fruitful. The second thing we see is in verses 4 and 5, the idea of abiding and remaining. Some people in their translation might use the word abide. Others' translations use the word remaining in the vine. So let me read verses 4 and 5 of John chapter 15. It says, Jesus says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The key word here is this word remain. It's used in verses 4 through 10. It's used 10 times at least. This term of remain speaks of intimacy, of union, of connectedness, and dependence. As believers, our union with Christ is a spiritual, mystical reality. We see this pictured in baptism, which says that it's a symbol of our union with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. We also learn from Scripture that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, actually dwells and lives within us. We are united with God. Union with Christ is our identity and reality as believers. And here we note that Jesus tells us that we are to remain or to abide with him. And it's interesting to note that Jesus does not say, bear fruit. Rather, he says, remain in me. Because bearing fruit is not something that we as humans can do on our own. He says right there, apart from me, you can't do nothing. You can't bear fruit on your own. You need to be in the vine. A branch can't bear fruit on its own. Can you imagine a tree thinking, oh, I've got to bear fruit, I've got to bear fruit. So it grits, it, it grits its, its wooden teeth and starts and turns a different shade of color. You know, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't work that way, right? The tree bears fruit naturally because it's connected. So we see that the key to bearing fruit is remaining in Jesus, the vine. And how is it that we can remain in Jesus? Well, we see here in verse 7, it says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you. A part of abiding means having Jesus' words in us. I like to think of the words of Jesus, the word of God, as being the sap of the tree. And our lives need to be saturated and overflowing with the sap of God's truth as revealed in scriptures. And there are many ways that, that we can remain in God's word. We can regularly read scripture. We can meditate on scripture. We can memorize God's word. We can listen to sermons. Or if you're a musical, you can sing songs 
This morning we sang at least two songs that were God's word. We sang Psalm 34, and we song, sang the song uh, 103 about God being compassionate and forgiving. We can use music to allow our, our, our being to be saturated with God's word. So being saturated in God's word is an essential part of remaining in Jesus divine. We see another way, and that is remaining in love. In verse 9, we read, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in love. We need to know with our heads as well as our hearts that we are loved so greatly by God as is evidenced in Jesus' death for us on the cross and so many other ways that he blesses us. He loves us so much. And we need to let this truth of God's love to penetrate and permeate our whole being so that it affects our identity and our behavior. Love is an essential aspect of our union with God and is key to our bearing fruit. It's no wonder that Paul prays when he does for the Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 18. He prays this. He says, I pray that you would be rooted and grounded in love and be able to grasp how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. We remain in Christ, the vine, by remaining in his love. Another way, the third way we see in verse, verses 10 and 12 and verse 17, where Jesus says it is through obedience. Verse 10, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Then verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. A child who is disobedient to their parents will not have a close, intimate relationship with their parents because that disobedience blocks that relationship from being healthy. Whereas the opposite is true. If we are obedient to God's commands, we will be closely united with him and thus be able to bear fruit. And the main command that Jesus is referring to here, as we've noted, is the command of love. As we remain in God's love, his love will flow in us and through us to love others, and the fruit will be produced. We know that Jesus teaches the greatest of all commandments is to love God and to love others. When we love others, we are truly fulfilling the commands that Jesus has for us. Another way that we can obey, abide and remain in Christ is through prayer. We see this in verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Remaining has the idea of connection and union and it is through prayer that we can stay close to God. If you were to do a survey of all married couples and ask them, what is the main aspect of a healthy, strong marriage? I would say at the very close to the top of the list or the very top of the list is good communication. 
good communication. Prayer is our communication with God. Prayer is what helps us bind together to be united with Christ. And notice here that prayer is, uh, our prayers are connected with Scripture, with God's words. It says there in verse 7, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. So the question is, how, what are the possibilities of how the word abiding in us might yield answers to prayer? And uh, I was reading through a, uh, something from John Piper, and he suggests three reasons how the word of God can affect our prayer life and provide answers to prayer. The first thing we see is in 1 John 5, verse 14, where it says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And how can we pray according to God's will? Well, as we know, the will of God is revealed in Scripture. So what we can do is we can pray God's word back to him. This past uh, Friday, I was on the House of Prayer Edmonton's website. It's like an online prayer meeting every day from 10 o'clock till, till noon. And uh, my daughter was actually leading the prayer session. And one of the things that House of Prayer likes to do, and all believers we should be doing, is praying Scripture. And the truths of Scripture, pray them, make use of them in our prayers. For example, pray that you might be more fruitful. Pray that you might remain in Christ. You can just use this text, and I've actually been using this text as I've been preparing the sermon this week and praying it for you and praying it for myself and for my family, praying these truths of Scripture into reality in the lives of the people that, that I love and I'm involved with. So this is how we can use prayer. It will guide us and direct us in revealing God's Word to us. Another way that prayer, I mean that the Word of God can help in answering prayer is to build up our faith. Romans 10 verse 17 says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And Jesus says in Mark 11, 24, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they shall be granted. So as our faith is increased through the hearing of God's word, then our prayers can be more effective. And the third possibility, so that the word abiding in us produces fruit and answers prayer, is that the word of God is meant to transform us. We know from Psalm 66, verse 18, and James 4, verse 3, it says that sin hinders our answers to prayer. And you know, the same thing is true, right? If we've had a big fight with our wives, we don't really want to have a close connection with them, you know, because that relationship has been damaged. Same thing with our relationship with God. If we're living in known sin then our prayers are not likely to be very effective. That's what Scripture teaches us. So as the Word of God sanctifies us, Jesus says in John 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is the truth. The Word of God cleanses us. The Word of God sanctifies us. And as we become more sanctified and more holy, that can lead to more answers to prayer as well as we're closer connected to God. So what does remaining in Jesus mean? What does that look like? It means remaining in God's word, allowing the word of God to be saturated. Secondly, it, remain, it means to be remaining in God's love. Thirdly, it involves obeying Jesus. And fourthly, it means being connected with Jesus through prayer. 
And as we abide in Jesus, we experience the life of Jesus within us, his love and his joy and his peace and these other qualities. And as we do, Jesus' life shines through us to others. Briefly, we just want to look at some of the results of bearing fruit. The first one we see in verse 8. It says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. When we bear fruit, we bring glory to God. It's not about us. It's not about becoming really popular or being a super spiritual person. No. The purpose of bearing fruit is to bring glory and honor to God. The second thing we see, bearing fruit, shows ourselves to be true disciples. The last part of verse 8 says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Our fruit is evidence that we are true followers of Jesus. In Matthew 12, verse 33, Jesus says, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. If there's no spiritual fruit in our lives, there's something wrong. Maybe we're not even believers, and the branch must be cut off and thrown into the fire. The third result is that we experience God's love. And we've read that already in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. We experience God's love. And not only love, we experience God's joy. Verse 11 says this, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It's interesting to note that Jesus talks about joy here in chapter 15 of John and he's just about to go to the cross. And here he is, he's talking about joy. I want you to have joy and fullness of joy. And that comes from bearing fruit. The Christian life should be characterized by joy. And this joy comes from relationship. That's the fifth reason for uh, the result of bearing fruit, that we experience friendship with Jesus. I'll just read again verses 13 through 15. Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his father's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father I have made known to you. Isn't that beautiful? To be considered friends of God? Wow, what a privilege that we have. I noticed, I remember a quote once a time that a pastor said that said, we are as close to God as we want to be. We are as close to God as we want to be. He wants to be our friends. We all have the same resources. We all have the same opportunities to be God's friends. You remember those in the, the old-fashioned cars when they just had the long seats and not bucket seats? You remember that? Just, it was just like one bench, bench seats in cars, bench seats in the front and bench seats in the back. That's the cars I was when I was a kid, right? And one story is told of this, uh, this lady and uh, this man and husband, husband and wife, and they'd been married for several years, and, and uh, he was driving, and, and she was sitting over there on the far side close to the door, and she says, oh, do you remember those days when, I, when we would sit really close and we would snuggle together and you'd put your arm around me and, and I, you know, I'd wiggle up close to you? 
Weren't those good days? And, and then he says to her, well, I didn't move. <laughs> He's the driver. He didn't move. So the point is, she was as close to him as she wanted to be, right? So we can be as close to the Father as we want to be. And lastly, we see answers to prayer. As we are connected and united with Christ, our prayer life also will increase. And we notice that all of this is but all of this is all of grace. We see in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. What a great promise. It's all of grace. It's not something that we do on our own, but it does give us purpose. Israel had a purpose. It was to bear fruit. We have a purpose. We have been summoned as individuals, as a community, to bear fruit. This is our purpose and our mission. And we are to bear fruit that will last for all eternity. When we invest in other people, when we invest in God's kingdom, it is something that will last forever. As branches, we have the privilege of sharing Jesus' life and the responsibility of abiding. As friends, we have the privilege of knowing his will and the responsibility of obeying it. So in summary, we have seen that God as the gardener desires and expects that we as branches bear fruit for God's glory. This process involves being pruned which may not always be pleasant, which is never pleasant, but is necessary. And the process of fruit also involves being united and remaining in Jesus through his word, through prayer, through obedience, and through remaining in his love. We've also noticed the many benefits of remaining in his love, a relationship with Jesus, being his friend, of having joy, of being loved, and being true, to, uh, evidence of being true disciples of Jesus. So what kind of a branch are we this morning? How fruitful are we in our lives? Are we growing in our ability to abide and remain in Christ? Are we bearing the fruit that God wants us to in our lives? What in our lives, what in my life, what in your life needs to be pruned? Perhaps a sinful habit, perhaps a distraction. And what steps can we take this week to remain in the vine? Let's just take a moment to pray silently, and then I will pray. Let's pray silently together. Father God, we thank you that you are the gardener. And we ask that you would do your pruning work in our lives as an individual and as a community. It's not pleasant, but we just surrender to that and submit to it because we want to bear fruit. We want you to be glorified. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us so much that we can be called your friends. Thank you for the privilege that we have of abiding in you. 
You just help us to take those opportunities that you've given to us to remain in you, to remain in your love. Help us to obey you and to bear fruit that would bring you honor and glory. For this we ask in the name of Jesus, who makes it possible by your spirit who indwells us. Amen.